What's up guys, welcome back to the show. In today's episode, Kim and I break down what emotional eating is, how you can start to work on overcoming it, and why food really isn't the answer to your problems. I really love this conversation. Kim gives some great practical and applicable takeaways as well as some much needed tough love when it comes to facing big problems in your life. We also talk about why weight training is so freaking important for women and why it's okay to have aesthetic goals. I know you guys are gonna absolutely love this conversation. Kim is one of the best coaches I know. So let's get it going, enjoy. What's going on guys, welcome back to the show. Today I have with me one of my absolute favorite people on Instagram, personal trainer, online coach, Kim Schlag. How are you doing? Hi there, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome, how's, uh, how's things with you? Where are you located? Well, currently I'm located in my closet <laughs> in Pennsylvania. Home office, so, home office. My home office, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm just outside of Philly. I'm in the middle of a big home renovation. Just got my COVID test done the other day. Oh just God. lots of stuff happening in my personal life here. <laughs> That's cool. This seems like pretty par for the course. So like transitioning yeah. to working from home. Is that what you were doing prior to lockdown? Yeah. So I luckily made the switch to online coaching. Gosh, I went fully online. It's been almost two years ago now. Um, before then awesome. I was part, part online, part in person. Um, I have always trained since I became a coach. I've always trained in my own home gym, just having clients come one at a time to my basement gym, did the nutrition coaching, did in-person training there. And then little by little kind of moved online and have been fully online for two years. So Super yeah, the big cool. change for me with lockdown is that like now my house is filled with all the rest of the people who weren't usually here before. Yes, I know. They got to, they really <laughs> have to get out of there and give you your space yes. back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's uh, that's interesting. I'll probably pick your brain when we're done here, but I'm currently, I was, uh, when, when we went into lockdown, I was probably 50, 50 online in person and just for whatever it's worth, not necessarily a career move, but just having way more fun and, and, and really, really enjoying myself online that in the new year, I'm going to be fully online, which is yeah. super exciting. Love doing the podcast, love it's, being more active on social and love my online yeah. coaching business. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's a great way to help more people. For sure. Absolutely. And it's, it's also, whatever, I don't want to go too deep in the rabbit hole, but it's also helping slightly different people. And I think it's nothing like a better or worse comparison. It's more of like you just grow and you transition and things change. And I had a great time. I don't, you know, regret any minute spent uh, in person, personal training for the last 10 years. And it made me the coach I am and all of that. But you, yeah. you just change. Things change. And you, you want to help a Absolutely. different crop of people for sure. Absolutely. Cool, cool. So obviously, I really hope a lot of my listeners know who you are and familiar with a lot of your stuff. But for anybody who's not, give us a quick background, how you got in the industry, what you're doing now. Tell us about you. Sure thing. So I am a 50-year-old mom. Um, I stayed home with my kids for most of their lives. They're older now. I have one in college, one is a senior in high school, one is a freshman in high school. And so I was a stay-at-home mom for many, many years. And I was, um, I was obese. And I struggled with dieting, yo-yo dieting year after year after year, doing all the stupid stuff, you know, all the whatever's on the front of the magazine, <laughs> trying all the stuff. None of it worked, obviously. Um, eventually in my early forties, got my act together, figured out what actually works um, to lose weight, get strong, had an amazing transformation, both physically, mentally, all the ways. And people watched this in real time at my gym and started asking me what I was doing. And I just started helping them. So this is now in my early forties, right? So um, very late bloomer to the fitness industry. And as I started helping people just got told over and over like, Hey, you should do this as a job. And eventually I took them up on that and yeah. got certified in nutrition, got certified in training and started, started doing this as a job. And I love it. I love helping people through the things that I used to struggle with. Like I have been there and now I'm on the other side. 
that's definitely going to be a tool that makes you unique as a coach is like having had that firsthand experience. Absolutely. Did you feel at any point while you were going through it that you were, you know, having that like feeling that you wanted to pay it forward? It just kind of happened naturally. It really just happened naturally. I had no expectation of that whatsoever. The big switch for me, I think, was the adding the lifting piece. I had never really done that in an organized fashion besides trying like P90X, and which doesn't really count in my book for um, organized fashion. And I just fell madly in love with it, like really loved what it did for me physically and mentally. And um, yeah. I couldn't stop whenever you know, somebody would ask me a simple question and five minutes later, I'd be like, you want me, you want me to help you with your next lift? What else yeah, do you exactly. want to know? Like, I just loved, I loved it. Did you have a coach when you were going through that? I did, but um, not an official coach. Um, he was, it's a weird story. So the church I go to, we have a lay congregation. So it's not like there's a priest up there. And my husband was the leader of our congregation many years ago. And he came home one day and said, you know, there's this family that has this boy, he's 19 and he really needs to not be in their house. Can he live with us? And I was like, well, um, is he safe? Like what kind of trouble is this kid in? And so he came to live with us and I was the only one around. My kids were in school, my husband's at work and it's me and this 19 year old boy. And I'm like, how am I keeping him out of trouble? And I figured out what he liked and what he liked was bodybuilding. And so got him a membership at his gym, at my gym. And I was like, here we go. I'm going to start trying to lose weight again. And three days in, he's like, what are you trying to do? And (laughs) he was, you need help. (laughs) And he was, and I was like, I'm trying not to be fat. Thank you. Thank you. And he's like, you're doing it all wrong. And he's like, why don't you start lifting with me? And so we lived together. He lived in my house. And so we would eat together and he would tell me what to eat and what not to eat and how to lift. And so it was literally like. It was pretty intense. That's super unique. That is not the yeah. answer I was expecting. That's no, awesome. No. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. He must have yeah. had a good head on his shoulders. I think of my some of the stuff that I was spouting out at 19 uh, as a personal trainer and then probably wasn't very helpful. So look, he had a whole bunch of bro science. Sure, and I will sure, tell sure, you that sure. a lot of women do not start lifting the way I did. Like three days a week was chest and biceps. Like right. that's what we totally. were doing. Yep. But look, I made great progress anyways. And after sure. he moved on three months later, I finally started training legs, uh, you know, more regularly yeah yeah yeah. and that's okay i mean listen there's nobody who like ended up in a place they're super proud of that didn't probably start in a place that they're kind of embarrassed yeah yeah for sure yeah Yeah. absolutely and we can all look back and laugh now the stuff we used to do for sure (laughs) it's totally true Mm -hmm. so the first topic i definitely wanted to jump jump in on and and the fact that you brought it up made me super happy because i was hoping that you would go in this direction is the discussion of emotional eating and it's definitely a rabbit hole and we're definitely going to break it down quite a bit. But before we jump into it, maybe we could get like just super broad definition of how we would define it and how if somebody's listening, they can be like, oh, yeah, maybe that's something I've experienced in the past. Yeah. So I think people will recognize immediately with me like, yeah, I did that. I do that because um, we all have at a time or two. Um, so emotional eating, the way I define it is using food to manage our emotions, Okay, specifically our negative emotions. Is it a problem across the board? Not necessarily. If you use it as your main source or a main source to manage your negative emotions, that's when it becomes a problem. And, and it is for many people. More of my clients than not struggle with emotional eating. Do you find that it's, I definitely think that the, yeah, I mean, I don't want to put it as an issue or as a problem or as an obstacle. We can pick whichever, you know, adjective we want there or noun we want there, but it can also be positive things, right? It can also be overcome with, you know, uh, um, it's definitely emotions across the board. And I definitely think that it's mostly highlighted in the, in a, in a more of a negative connotation, but there are also people that are going to respond to like positive situations and, and like being really excited at a birthday party and, and eating in response to an emotion. I think you put it better. It's likely more eating to cope with emotion. Um, 
for sure. What are what are some of those triggers? What are some of those, some of those reasons that we can kind of bring up? Well, you're look for sure. Um, you're right. As in, we can we use food for so many things, right? So we're happy. Let's eat. We need to celebrate. Let's eat, right? So like that's definitely a piece of our culture. But the, where I really see it is with these more negative emotions. Agreed. So stress, boredom, sadness, loneliness. Um, really any negative emotion you can think of anxiety we use food anxiety we use food as the band-aid and it doesn't really work in the long term and that's why it's a problem yeah agreed 100 percent. i definitely think it's way more in the negative connotation side and it doesn't work both from the perspective excuse me it doesn't work from the perspective of your physical goals and it also doesn't work from the perspective it is actually not going to help fix that problem totally you could make an argument that if it was helping the emotional side that it would be worth sacrificing some of those physical yes. goals you could make that argument it just yes. isn't helping either and, it and if it was, yeah if it was helping one or the other you could just say okay this is a trade-off situation where i'm making a i'm gonna work on my emotions here and i'm gonna forego some of those physical aspirations like it's not that because it's not helping right. your emotions in the first place absolutely not um, in fact i think it's hindering them because it keeps you from actually dealing with them it's, it's, it's very fascinating. And one of the questions that I wrote down is like, why food? Like, why is it food? And why does food become this thing that we use for, like, you mentioned the five different reasons one might emotionally eat. Why do all of those emotions at some point lead us towards eating more or quite often eating more? And why is it usually less nutritious, more palatable foods? Well, I think we're seeking some sort of some sort of comfort and pleasure, and food is an easily accessible way to get that. Could you get it in some other way? And are there other maladaptive coping techniques? For sure. I'm sure people, some people use like sex, right? There are other ways to maladaptively cope with your negative emotions. Food just happens to be an easily accessible one, and it's a go-to, right? right? And we just kind of, we adopt it, and we're like, well, that was easy, like cupcake. I felt sad sitting here eating cupcakes. I feel pretty good in the moment eating cupcakes. Going to keep going with that. And then it's a learned, it's a learned behavior. And it's chemical. I mean, there is no if, ands, yeah. or buts. There's definitely something to be said about getting a dopamine hit. And like you said, using yes. sex or drugs or food, um, they're all an attempt to kind of get that dopamine hit and have mm -hmm. that temporary mouth pleasure um, to offset a much bigger problem. And, and it is just that it's, it's not fixing the problem, but it is temporarily making you feel better. And I think that when you say it doesn't work, I think we have to accept that what working would mean is that it will actually make that thing that or, or your ability to deal with stress better when I don't want yeah. like saying it doesn't work is not saying that it doesn't make you feel better in the moment it probably does in that it exact does. moment but yeah it we, we, we've all experienced that yes, right yeah yeah and it doesn't work because it doesn't doesn't feed doesn't fix doesn't help doesn't aid that long-term bigger issue uh, for and sure and if you if it is inhibiting your physical goals it often adds this other layer of stress, right? So now not only are you lonely or stressed at work, but now you've, you know, eaten three bags of potato chips and now you feel terrible about that. Yeah. And you know, you're further away from your goals. So yeah. it adds this other layer of stress. Yeah. 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 Other than it just being, other than food being <laughs> able to give us that, that chemical response, is there something about food? Is there something about actually eating that is unique that that we reach for is there something different other than the fact that we're looking for a, a dopamine hit i you know for a lot of people i think it's a place to go for comfort right if we, we we hear the term comfort food right and a lot of times when we have these stressful situations these upset situations these negative emotions we're actually looking for a certain emotion we want to evoke a certain emotion and we can do that easily with food 
and you're not getting a dopamine hit from like a like fucking a piece of salmon and broccoli. You're, just, the, you're, you're not. You're not getting dopamine. You're getting satiated. No. You probably feel better an hour right. later, but you're not getting a dopamine hit. It's just not the way but it works. But yeah, we're talking like mac and cheese, chips, chocolate. It could be anything on those variety, but you're right. Nobody's going to be like emotional eating broccoli. Yes, yes. And I definitely think you, you hit the nail on the head where it's like if you also do have coinciding physical goals, like that – negative reinforcement that that negative cycle of of trying to fix a problem temporarily feeling better and then feeling bad about that perpetuates this happening again in the future that is another emotion that's now going into the bucket of reasons that you emotionally eat and so it's not only not helping but it's it's making it worse it's becoming a learned behavior but it's also it's becoming a learned behavior that an hour after you do it five minutes after you do it a second after you do it you're feeling yeah. bad about it and so it's Absolutely. layering back on top of more reasons that push you towards emotional eating yeah. Couldn't agree more. Is it something that you've found a lot of clients come to you with? Man, they're not, maybe they're not even aware of that they're doing it, but you're catching it in in terms of like identifying a pattern in somebody's eating or a pattern in stress coping mechanisms. It's something that you're finding is pretty, uh, you're, it happens pretty often with clients that come to you. Yeah. More often than not, my clients do. I will say because of the content I put out, a lot of people, when they come to me, they're very well aware of it because I talk about it all the time and share examples of how, how, um, how it plays out. So a lot of people will come to me specifically because I talk about that and they recognize themselves and they're like, wait, that's me. I do that. But I do have some clients who don't immediately right off the bat notice that they do that. And then we can pick up on the patterns. You know, I'll be like, oh, your calories we're really high this day. Like what's going on? And, you know, and they'll, they'll start talking about what it is. And when we see that as a negative cycle, we're like, okay, here's a pattern. Let's start working through it. And then we have, I have certain steps we go through to get, cause you know, here's the thing as terrible as this feels and as big as it feels, it is absolutely a manageable thing. Like emotional eating is something you can get past with work. It's not, there's no quick fix, but you can easily make progress on it. Let's talk about that. What, let's talk about some of the steps that, that people can make or take um, and maybe just go through like some of the beginning ones. Because I know that, that yeah. often, like you said, identifying it as something that might feel big but is absolutely like able you can over you can overcome it is something that's mm -hmm. tough. It probably feels like a very daunting, like a tall mountain to, to climb. But yeah. I think it's it all starts with the first step. So what would you say is you yeah. know, potentially your first step there? So the two pieces I would say is recognizing what actual hunger feels like. Because sometimes if you're not clear that you're emotional eating, you need to start learning, like, what does it feel like to be physically hungry? And if that feels silly to you, I want you to stop and think, like, what do, when I'm hungry, like, what is the sign that I'm hungry? If it is anything other than an empty, hollow sensation in your stomach, maybe it's accompanied by some growling, that's not hunger. If it's like, I feel tired, I have a headache, like some other emotion that's not that's not actual hunger so really to start noticing and giving yourself time to notice and that's really hard in our snacky society like give yourself a good stretch of time like eat your breakfast or your lunch and wait four or five hours until you actually feel that sensation of hunger so you can start to recognize it um because that's what we're looking for as a cue of this is physical hunger so that you can compare it to what is emotional hunger so then emotional hunger is going to be when you notice that you eat in reaction to stress, anger, upset, frustration, procrastination, all these other things. And so what you're going to do is you're going to start noticing patterns. So you might be a person who you're at work and you you just you need to get up and go to the vending machine. You need to get you need to go downstairs and get a muffin and you're not hungry. You notice you're not physically hungry. Okay, what is it? 
And I would say, open up your note section of your phone and start noting, noticing these things. I, I was at work and write these things down, like write when it was, what happened, like what happened immediately, what were you feeling and what did you eat? And just start combing through patterns. They'll appear. They will absolutely appear. Yeah. I think that one of the distinctions that I like, really like is that hunger is something that happens Again, first of all, just for everyone listening, these aren't always black and white. This isn't how it always plays out, but it's quite mm -hmm. often the case. And if you can take some of what we're saying and apply it to your own life and look at the, across large time scales, not every single time might happen this way, but if you can identify, like Kim said, patterns, it can be very helpful. I find that emotional eating comes on very acutely, very quickly um, yes. in response to something. And, and hunger tends to be a bit more gradual. You don't you know, sometimes you can be so, you know, uh, enthralled in work and all of a sudden you're super hungry. Yes. Okay, fine. Uh, you know, you're like, oh my God, I haven't eaten in eight hours and I'm starving. Like, okay, that does happen. Mm -hmm. But but real hunger tends to be something that's a bit more gradual and emotional hedonic eating tends to be something that comes on along just like that in response to something. And yeah, um, yeah like you said, if it doesn't feel like something like an empty stomach that accompanied by maybe even a growl, you know, we can do, we could talk about the broccoli head challenge where it's like, if you wouldn't eat a head, a head of broccoli right now, uh -huh. you're just not, that's just, you're not hungry. That's not hunger. Um, and whether or not it's that black and white, it's something funny that you can kind of yeah. call your own bullshit on in the moment. But mm -hmm. a lot of times it's that emotional eating that, or that emotional hunger that comes on out of nowhere. And if you pay attention to like trigger and response, like stimulus and response, you pay attention to like what just happened, like you will identify trigger, uh, uh, patterns. You absolutely will. Yeah. I just spoke this morning, a client uh, messaged me or might telling me um, that she's starting to pick up on the patterns. And what she realized is she's so overwhelmed with work that her emotion, the feelings she feels is I just need to get away. Like I need to escape. And so, you know, then I prompted her with some more questions after that, because that's an important thing to notice. Like, how do I feel when I, when I start eating is I feel like I need to get away. And so once you pick up on the patterns, then we can go to, okay, like, what do I, what do I do now? Sure. Um, and so a couple of things, one, one easy thing to do, and this is really kind of outside of the emotional eating piece is set yourself up for success. If you notice that like you always go for chips when you're having like these emotional struggles, stop keeping chips in your house for now. Like, let's just set yourself up, set your environment up for success while you're working through this. You can bring the chips back later. So that's kind of an aside piece, but then really um, ahead of time, now that you've gotten these patterns, start noticing, okay, like I eat, I eat when I have too much work to do. Okay, let's address the short term. What are you going to do when you feel that way? And let's address the long term. Why do you have more work than you can handle? So that's a big problem and a, and a more short term problem. And addressing both of them is important. So in the short term, I have my clients identify two to four things that they could do in a reasonable amount of time that would not involve food that could help them manage that stress. Maybe for some people that's take, taking a walk. Maybe for some people that's calling their best friend. Maybe for some people that is literally just getting up from their, their desk and walking uh, across the room and reading a few pages in a book. Anything that's going to help you get out of this situation of like, I feel overwhelmed with work, um, that's going to take the place of food. It could be all kinds of things. Listening to music, petting your dog, um, really. like, And for each person, I would say ahead of time, make a list. It has to be reasonable. Do not put stupid stuff like I'm going to take a bubble bath. Like if you don't have time to be wet and get dried off again, right? You have to, it has to be reasonable. Put those things down so that you have this whole bag of tricks that you can try. And you have to try different things for different emotions. Like this works and that doesn't. And different things will work for different people. Um, so that's kind of the short-term piece. And then you got to look at that long-term piece. 
okay, you have too much work and you're overwhelmed. Is that um, a problem with your prioritization, with your time management? Do you need to have a hard conversation with your boss? Do you just hate your job and now you're procrastinating? Do you need another line of work? Like that's a big problem, right? And food is not going to fix either those short or the long-term problems, but facing those things. So manage the short-term. Here's how I'm going to deal with these emotions in the moment and then start looking at the big-term picture. You, you got to fix that. Yep. I think if we could like quick summarize would be the step one is the awareness piece. It's the awareness. It's the interrogation of that feeling when you have it. And it's taking a step back and, and first of all, taking a step back and, and becoming more aware and having a bit of self-talk and not interrogating, but, but, but acknowledging those emotions and seeing why they're there is by far the, the step one, right? For sure. Mm -hmm. And there's a quote that I love that comes to mind. It's a Viktor Frankl quote, and it's uh, between stimulus and response. There is a space in that space yes. is our power to choose our response. In our response mm -hmm. lies our growth and our freedom. And I think that there's this, something happens and then we respond. And there's this gap of time. And, it, and to most people, there isn't that gap of time. There's stimulus and response. And if we can widen that gap and just get our clients to fucking pause for a second. And sometimes one of the, you know, one of the best anti-binge eating strategies is just waiting 20 minutes because mm -hmm. that break in between the stimulus and the response often allows you the time to kind of reformulate your priorities and kind of interrogate that feeling and come to a, a more productive uh, result. And and ju just like you said, the, the second step would be coming up with what are what those things are. So now I'm aware that, that I need to create a space between the stimulus and response. And now I need to figure out what are some things I can try. And you definitely, you mentioned some good ones. And, and, and I think taking a walk and making it about, making it not about food was an interesting one that I think you said like, it, it's not just go eat something else. It's not, that isn't, that might be a short term. It might be better. It might be a step better in terms of like calorically speaking, you might be able to pick more nutritious options and that might assist your, your physical goals. But it's probably better if we do something that's not eating, because I think if you're eating, you're feeding like the emotional eating with food and, and that kind of defeats the purpose because it's not actual hunger. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. I think that's an important yeah. point to make. It's just not, don't just go eat something else. While that might be <laughs> right. better in some ways, it is still reinforcing the, okay, I'm stressed from too much work and all of a sudden I need to munch on something. So I munch. Well, yeah, if it's carrots and celery sticks, it's better than potato chips and and, and, and whatever else. But it's still, like For you sure. said, it's not close to It's not going to solve the problem, right? Yeah. So if the problem is you're lonely and so you're eating, Eating carrots and celery is going to help you have fewer calories. That's going to help you with weight loss goals. Not going to help with the fact that you're lonely. You're still going to be lonely when you're done with the carrots and celery. Totally. But if you phone somebody, if you, like, look, in our, our day and age, get online and meet somebody, whatever it is you do, if you actually face your emotion, which I know is hard, name it, sit with it, and then see, like, what can I actually do about it? If I'm lonely, if I'm bored, like, I had a client and she was overeating Oreos all the time and I kept pressing her about it. And she finally wrote me this really long message or I don't know, she may even left me a, a voice memo and it was startling to her and to me. She's like, look, I wake up every day and I have a terrible commute to a job I hate. It makes me cry every time I say this. And then I come home to a family who doesn't appreciate all the work I do for them. And I just run errands for everybody. I have nothing else that brings me joy. Like I have Oreos. And she's like, how sad is this? She's like 50. Like, she's like, how have I gotten this far in life? And this is what I have. I have Oreos. And that's tough stuff. Like looking for like, what do I do now? Like she needed to find joy somewhere else. And that's, that's hard stuff. Yeah, that's hard stuff. That's deep stuff. That's big picture stuff. And it is the recognition that this food is trying to serve a larger problem that probably has nothing to do with food. 
um, mm-hmm. is quite often when, you know, listen, you can you can work on emotional eating like with somebody like you or me where we are going to address it. We're going to be aware of it. We're going to substitute it with a, a non-eating action that might make you just feel generally better because we know eating tends to not even in not even in the medium term make you feel better because you're usually guilty about it afterwards. But it does sometimes identify a problem that's like, man, I got to go change careers. Or I need to get a divorce or I need to, you know, talk yeah. to this person, have an honest conversation. It's usually indicative of a problem that might not be solved at all in the realm of exercise and nutrition and probably yeah. best not solved in exercise and nutrition. But then you can st- she, you can start to work on those things. And she did. Like, we, I would give her assignments. I'm like, this weekend, she would have to tell me by Thursday what she was going to do that was going to be fun for the weekend. And sometimes she's like, I can't think of anything. I'm like, well, come up with something. And so sometimes it'd be like, I'm going to get my nails done. I was like, do you like that? Well, I like it. It's fine. You know, so it would be little things. It's not like going to bring her like future long-term joy. Sure. But at least it was something for her to look forward to Definitely. that wasn't Oreos, right? Yep. What, what would you say just to kind of, I know we mentioned a bunch of them there, but just kind of concisely put them would be like, Man, a top top five list. If somebody's listening to this and they don't even know where to begin and everybody's different, but if we had to pick three to five things that we thought might be really good tangible takeaways. Uh, Takeaways as far as emotional eating? Things to do in in response or things to try. Things to do. Okay, things to try. Like, okay, you notice your emotional eating, what to do. Yep. Um, Human contact is usually a big one. Either talk to somebody, call somebody, or even just verbalizing to yourself as in writing. Like if you're a person who can handle journaling, if you're like, I don't hate that, like writing down how you're feeling, telling somebody how you're feeling, getting up and moving your body is powerful. Whether that's moving inside or outside. Look, I think nature can cure a lot in when it comes to our mood. So getting outside into fresh air, even if it's cold, can really help. Moving your body, if you like to dance, if you like, you know, whatever it is you like to do if you like to like shoot a few baskets in your backyard with the basketball move your body get outside in nature involve another human being just telling them how you're feeling writing things out Um, those are some big ones and just looking to create the environment you're looking for so if you just like want to feel cozy like light a candle and get a warm blanket like look for the feeling you're feeling and find something that makes you actually feel that way Awesome. I love that. Those are really great ones. I definitely think also just like waiting and like recognizing and taking a pause and, and, and giving yourself <clears throat> yeah. some time to sit with it is definitely one that I would And frankly, sure. all those things I just mentioned can be a part of that pause. Agreed. So say, say to yourself, you like, I'm going to wait 20 minutes. Yeah. I'm going to wait 20 minutes before I go out to the store and buy this bag of chips that I'm now not keeping in my house. And in that 20 minutes, I'm going to do X and then do love one of that. those things I just mentioned or something else. And then if after 20 minutes and like you've phoned your mom and you've shot some baskets and you're like, I forgot and just want chips go to the store and buy yourself the chips like that's progress still right agreed and totally this isn't like i said it's not a quick fix it's gonna get better like you keep doing stuff like that you're gonna come up with the answers if somebody waits successfully waits 20 minutes they go shoot hoops in the back and then they still go inside and they eat like, that's a that's a huge win that's, that's a, great a huge win, win. and it, it might actually be indicative that you were actually hungry you were and, actually and you might actually have been hungry and that might part of waiting 20 minutes and part of still wanting it might be part of your like shit testing tool if you were actually hungry if it were something emotional yeah. i love that i think that's great absolutely yeah i think that you said something that i just want to bring up is like optimizing your environment and i've i've changed my opinion on this to some degree i think like not having things that you are having trouble moderating in your house at any given time like it's a, it's a weird piece of advice because for some people it might actually work some people might work in the short term, not in the long term. Some some people might not work at all. Some people it might make things worse. And so I think it's a it's an interesting piece of advice. Um, and I think that you have to be cognizant as a coach of like who you're saying that to, of course. But I think in the short term there is something to be said about like man, one step 
to making it just a little bit less friction between you and this thing is putting some distance between you and this thing. And I think it's a, without making it sound like this amazing tool that everybody should use and you just should have fucking nothing around you that makes you remotely <laughs> tempted. I just think that there's something to be said about maybe considering like it's harder to walk through the, the you know, Halloween specifically right now is this where this is coming out. I made a post yesterday about like most people's houses are riddled with candy right now. And I think that it's okay for you to look at that and be like, man, I don't want that in my environment because it's not serving me. It doesn't make me feel good. And I, I want to throw it out. I think it's also okay for you to be like, I don't want to throw it out. I'm okay with it in my environment. I want to learn how to live with it. I want to learn how to be able to moderate and whatever, having a better relationship with it while it's around me. But I think both are fine. So I always like, how do you feel about that? Like optimizing your environment piece of uh, advice? Yeah, I agree with you. I've changed my opinion on that over the years as well. Here's the thing. No food should be off limits. And I think that's like baseline advice for everyone. There is no food that you should be able, you have to say to yourself, I cannot eat this. But there are foods that for any individual might be smarter to not have close at hand, knowing that at any point they could go out and get that food. They just have that space created by it's not there. So these are things that you struggle to moderate. Doesn't mean you can't keep any like quote unquote fun foods in your house. Just know which ones you tend to struggle with. So I can tell you, so mine in the past, and I can tell you the progress I've made. I used to not be able to keep pretzels, chocolate pop tarts, which I know that sounds crazy, but <laughs> sugar cereal. I'm obsessed with sugar cereal. I used to not be able to keep that in my house. Nutella. These are all things that I would overeat if they were there. And for a while, I was really under the impression that I was not at the advanced level of a dieter, of a human being, of person who can eat food, if I could not keep them in my house and moderate my emotions. Like, I really felt that way. And I was talking to my coach. My coach is Jordan Syatt. Many years ago, I'm like, what do you think about this? He's like, that's stupid. He's like, you're not any better of a person because you keep the Nutella jar right next to you. He's like, get the Nutella jar out of there until you feel like you can moderate it. And I was like, okay. Like, I kind of needed that permission, like, it's okay, because I felt that was a good strategy for me. So I started doing that. And what I'll tell you is that over the years, and these things kind of come and go for me, I can now successfully keep Nutella. Currently, I have Nutella. I have Cocoa Pebbles. Um, I don't have Chocolate Pop-Tarts right now, but they were here like a month or two ago when my You're kids like, bought them. them like, so, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> I, <laughs> I ate them all now. Yeah. No, but I can successfully have those things in my house and have some and not have this constant thought in my head, like, I want more, like, I'm going to overeat them. Um, but it took time. It took time to like reintroduce them. And absolutely, I would go out and get them. I'd be like, you know what, I'm going to go out and we're going to buy a big bag of pretzels for this party we're going to and I'm going to eat the pretzels. And then when the party's over, either the pretzels are getting thrown out, they're going home with somebody, they're not staying here in my closet. But now I can keep pretzels here. So it's practice. And you're not a better person. If you keep the pretzels next to you, if you struggle with them, like you're not more advanced. You might eventually get to the point you can keep the pretzels there, but stop giving yourself such a dang hard time. If the pretzels are that hard, go out and buy pretzels when you want pretzels. I fucking love that so much. I already know I'm cutting that clip up, but like you, like <laughs> this, this idea that you have to get to a point where you're able to perfectly moderate everything or one, the, the idea that you have to get there or two, the idea that you're somehow less of a person or you're weak or man, it's okay. Like we don't live, ah, man, we could go down this environment, like, <laughs> like a, like evolutionary rabbit hole of like, you weren't meant to have this amount of hyper palatable, fucking delicious, likely extremely cheap and easily accessible food around you 24 fucking seven. And if you want, if you keep Halloween candy all over your fucking house and you catch yourself eating it, guess what? Welcome to the fucking club. There's like 7 billion of us. Like it's not always sure. easy and you're not a bad person because it's hard. Like it's just part of it. You don't, have to feel less of a person if yeah. that's you and you don't have to feel like you know you don't have to 
you're not more of a person if you can do that. Everybody's different. Different Absolutely. environments, different upbringings, different re- current relationship with food, coping mechanisms, all of that for sure. Wow, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. I'm sorry for that rant there. but I No, that was great. <laughs> I liked the passion. I feel you. I feel that way about yeah. it too. I really do. Great, great, great. We're going to do a hard pivot here. I wanted to talk a little bit okay. about um, – the importance of weight training for women and certainly a topic that I know having heard your personal story here that you have firsthand experience with, of course. Um, And before I want to throw that to you, I just wanted to say, as I wrote this down, I said, why is weight training so important for women? I started to give it some thought. And I thought, I thought that there's, there's things that are important for women, right? There's things that are unique to women that it's important for them to weight train versus men. But I almost think it's just fucking important for everybody. And the fact that we're even sitting here talking about why it's important for women just indicates the fact that women have gotten the shit end of this stigma stick here. And we're talking about why it's important for women when it's important for everybody. It is. You're, you're totally right. And it is important for everybody. It's important for, look, it's important for our, our physical health. It's important for our longevity. It's important for how well we age. It's important for our mental health, our emotional health, like all of these things. It is important for all of those things for both men and women. It's just that men have been encouraged to yes. do this. And so yes. many more yes. of them do it totally. that we don't need to try and encourage them to do it because they're already like, for me to be manly, I need to have muscles. Yeah. And so I go to the gym. Right. And so for women, there's this stigma, like, first of all, that in some realm it's not feminine, and I'm I clearly don't agree with that. So I'm putting that in air quotes that no one can see, right? Um, or that it's going to make them look manly, which is not true, um, unless you want it. Like if you if if a person wants to look like a bodybuilder, like a woman who wants to have this extreme look of lots of hard muscle, can she build it? Yes. Will it be an insane amount of work? Yes. I am a very petite woman. I am five three and a half. I am like 135 pounds. I lift incredibly heavy weight and I've been doing it for seven years. I try really hard to build muscle and I don't look like those women. I don't look like those women. I, I'm smaller now than I was when I wasn't lifting weights. Absolutely. You know, and so yeah. we have this stigma of like physically, I don't want to look like X and it just doesn't feel feminine. I think that's all changing, frankly. I do think it's changing. I still do think there's a lot of encouragement needed. There's a lot of uh, misinformation out there about how a woman should lift to get the results she wants. Um, So I still think there's a lot of talk that needs to go on about that. I also don't think that women realize how important it is for them as they age. So look, look, I'm 50 years old. I cater to older women. I talk a lot to perimenopausal and menopausal women. Ladies, as we age, we are losing muscle. Men are losing muscle too. Um, They just have more because they've been working at it, right? So we're losing muscle. When, as our estrogen declines, we're losing bone. You know, if we want to not be the old lady who can't get out of bed and can't like open a a top cupboard and grab something out, we want to be the lady who can bend down in the yard to pick something up or play with our grandkids. We need muscle and we need to strengthen our bones. And the things that does that do that, it's strength training. Like we have to be able to do that if we want to live this long life that in a way that we want to. And that is the probably the main difference in, in terms of like a difference between men and women in terms of resistance training is that women are just four times more likely to get osteoporosis. That bone mm-hmm. degradation is just like you said, as estrogen goes down, that just speeds up more for women. And that is such a practical thing about being physically 
independent for as long as fucking possible before you eventually, we all are going to need help at some point. But like somebody, I don't remember who said this, but like, there's going to be a day where we can't wipe our own ass. And like, I want that to be as far away as possible. <laughs> as far in the future yeah, as, as possible, as, and right? is that thing. It is literally the fountain of youth. And specifically for women, one of the big differences is that, that higher risk of osteopenia, osteoporosis. So definitely, definitely nothing does that better than weight training, um, yeah. resistance training, putting load on the, on the joints and the bones and the muscles. So super unique. And that is, man, I talk, I, like, I feel like you, you can very, like, quickly catch a lot of your favorite IG fitfluencers, like, shitting all over cardio and, and pushing weight training as if it's, like, dichotomous and you can only do one. But they are different. And, and weight training is yeah. going to give you a unique benefit in terms of, like, fighting sarcopenia and osteopenia. And it, and it is unique. It's important. And if that's not sexy enough for the listeners listening, look, the look you're chasing, the look you want of, like, I am a lean-toned, like, if you look at magazines and you're like, oh, I like the way those arms look, that is lifting. It was missing from my life forever. And even when before I was obese, I was so I as a teenager was not overweight. I in my 20s, I was not overweight. But I always had this idea that I needed to lose five pounds. I never needed to lose five pounds. What I needed to do was lift up some heavy weight and do something with it. And so I just thought like I needed to be a runner and I needed to eat less food. Like I was like, clearly I need to lose weight. I don't look like I want to look. And a lot of women are in this cycle of like, I'm gonna eat super low calorie and I need to run more or I need to do these classes at the gym that involve weights but they're actually really more cardio and again nothing wrong with them and if you like them do them but you have to look at what is the result I'm looking for and if the result you're looking for is I want toned arms I want a nice you know I want nice lean looking legs with some muscle tone like I want some definition that is not going to come from doing those classes it's going to come from a structured strength training program where you over time work at getting stronger and so that's why it's important, like in a vain kind of way. And I don't have any problem with people being vain. I am as well. I like to look good and it's going to get you those results. Strength training is going to get you those results. It's very funny. You said that it's like, after you said, if that's not sexy enough. And as you were talking, I was like, kind of in the back of my head, replaying like what we had just said, like, it's not sexy. And talking about osteopenia, sarcopenia, like super practical, <laughs> super practical. You, everyone's got parents and grandparents that they've seen go through this. Somebody trips and falls into a table and they break their hip. You don't want to be that person, but no. that's not what's motivating most people in the, in the moment. And th I'm yeah. appreciative of you being super honest. Cause the truth is it's okay to have physique based goals it's okay to have external based goals like yes we should yeah. layer on top some 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 other goals on top of it so you're not you know hyper focused tunnel tunnel visioned on this one thing but uh, yeah it's 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 extremely okay to have vain quote unquote goals Absolutely. and to want to look a certain way because what's cool is like okay a lot of people say if you chase health you get the aesthetic as well to some degree if you chase the aesthetic and you're doing it in a in a smart way in terms of resistance training eating enough protein fruits and vegetables calories you know, remotely in control of where you want to go. Like you also get a lot of help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. And I will say it's interesting when I get on the phone with somebody who's interested in being my client or when they email me, um, no one wants to tell me yes. that the reason they want to lose weight is because they want to look good. Yeah. They all have these like health goals, which is great. And I'm glad they do. Um, but when I prod, I haven't met a single person yet who hasn't said like, well, and I, yes, of course I want to look better. And I want to, I want to like, like the way my clothes fit again and all these things. Yep. And people kind of feel slightly ashamed of that. And I don't think there's any reason to, I mean, I like to look good in my clothes too. Yep. You only get, you're only going to live on this planet for what, a hundred years. It's okay to like want to look good or, or, or yeah. improve your physique along the way. I think that's a totally fine pursuit. Absolutely. Yeah. And can we, can we take it to an extreme? Yes. And do I feel like women in particular, and I, you know, I think men too, um, that we have so much pressure to look a certain way in our society today. Sure. 
could we do better about not focusing on those things? Yeah. And I will say that's why when women come to me and we work together and they tell me what their goals are, like I assure them we're going to do the stuff that's going to get them the physical results. We don't talk a whole lot about it though. Like we just don't. Like we talk, when we talk about their workouts, I talk about them getting stronger because one, it feels really good. It feels really exciting. They like that they're getting their first push up. They like that they're getting their first pull up. Yet at the exact same moment, it's giving them the dang result they wanted anyway. 100%. Focusing on performance is like, Talking about the physique is not as important. If you're just focused on, people ask me all the time, how, how do I know I'm building muscle? Well, the best proxy for muscle growth is strength. So let's focus Absolutely. on strength. And if you, the, the the person that has the legs and the shoulders, the stuff that you're, you know, you one might be hyper-focused on, like that person deadlifts, you know, twice their body weight. That person can do a chin-up. That person presses the 40s or like whatever it is. Like if, yeah. instead of focusing, like, Looking a certain way is a result of the of the like process goals of getting in the gym and getting stronger and hitting your protein and all of that good stuff. So that is especially I, I know you're a wonderful coach. So pushing people into that mentality of like, hey, let's focus on did you get stronger this month? Like what what are yeah. our performance goals that of course tangentially will lead to these also aesthetic goals. Um, definitely one of the most powerful things you can do, especially if you're somebody who's struggling with being hyper-focused on the externals, like shift yeah. your focus to the performance side of things. You'll be very proud. Everything gets better. I think it's a Jordan Syatt, literally a Jordan Syatt quote. I think he's either that or it's just like in my head is something he might've said <laughs> where it's like, everything gets better when you focus on getting stronger, literally everything. It sounds like something Jordan would say. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that one in particular, but it sure sounds like something he would say. You know, it's really true. Um, and it's, it's just something you can see change in faster like if you focus on like, how are my arms looking? You're not going to see big changes daily, weekly, monthly, even like that's going to be over a longer period of time. But if you focus on like, Hey, I can get lower in my push up this month, or, Hey, I just added five pounds to my bench press. Like you can see that. And those things will happen way faster. And maybe not every, it's not like every lift every time, but something you're going to see something. If you're not seeing improvement in something almost every time you're in the gym, you're not doing it right. So you should be able to go into the gym and do something better every time. And that just feels good. And that feels motivating. Yeah. It's super cliche to say like the, you know, small efforts compound over time, all of that stuff. But I talk to every person that I coach and I tell them in like a welcome video and we're looking over their program. It's like, you got to fall in love with the micro progressions. You got to fall in love with one more rep than last week or yeah. fucking five more pounds because that it's a cliche, but that shit over time, weeks and months and years, if you've never tracked your workouts and like you said, tried to do a little bit more, uh, depending on how your program is set up, like you, you haven't actually been able to push yourself. Like you'll get stronger in six months of, of tracking your workouts than the last 10 years of your life. If you were just kind of winging it and absolutely focusing in on, and, and again, like you said, it's going to be micro progression. It's going to be one more rep. It's going to be five more pounds. It's going to be a little bit lower in your pull up in your push up. It's going to be getting almost a little bit closer in your chin up. It's going to be those micro progressions over time that really compound into something great. Yeah. But it's way better to focus on that because it's stuff you can actually control Hell than yeah. focusing on like, how's my arm looking today? Like it's going to sure. come along with it. Get your diet under control, work hard in the gym and it's going to come, but you're not going to see, you're not going to see that immediately. Yep. Let's, um, you, you had mentioned something I do want to bring up. It's like, okay, let's, let's look at the stigma. Let's look at what's, what's been told to women in general over the last, let's say 50, 60, 70 years. Like where did that stigma come from? And you, like you said, do you believe that we're moving in a, much more productive direction where women are actually getting good information. Um, things like you had said. Yeah. I have no idea where it came from. I have no idea where it came from, but I do feel like we're getting better as far as like women, there are role models out there for 
hey, I like to be strong and perform well and I look good for doing it. There's also a ton of crappy information out there, right? And it can be hard to pick it apart. Um, you know, the more social media is available, there's more good and there's more bad, right? So sure, there's way more women today pushing, let's go to the gym and lift. Um, you have to look for ones who are pushing you to do it in a way that's actually useful. Um, and what I mean by that and how you can kind of decide is just because somebody is doing something in their nice toned body doesn't mean that that is the thing that they did to get that nice toned body. Um, you will see really fit people doing really stupid stuff and, and trying to like be like, hey, do this. And it's not the thing that got them that body. So ladies, here's some clues for you. If you're watching somebody being like, should I do this thing? If it involves bands, and that is most of the workout, that's a problem. Unless like you were doing home workouts, I realize a lot of people are on lockdown and you gotta do what you gotta do. If all you have is bands, work with those bands as much as you can over time, do it. Um, but in regular days, a teeny tiny portion of your workout should involve band work. Like you should be using a glute band for a teeny tiny portion of your workout. If their workouts involve super high reps, like you're always doing 20, 30, 40, 50 crazy burnout sets, again, that should be a super tiny portion of your workout. If the moves look really complicated, if they're putting stuff all together and it looks really kind of crazy, probably don't do it, it at is. all. It is, yeah. <laughs> None of that stuff is what got them that body. The, the things you need to do to get a really toned, defined body are very basic moves. So if you're see if you do variations of squats, deadlifts, bench press, overhead press, what am I missing? Rows, pull-ups, pull-downs, yeah. lunges, like moves you've heard before and you're doing some variation of those and here and this is really key ladies, stop trying to do them super fast and get your heart rate up all the time. Those circuits are totally fine, but again that should be a super tiny portion of your total workout. Take rest. Women need to know this. Like take rest in your workout so that you can push heavy. That's kind of what I look for. Like when you're looking for, is somebody teaching me something that's gonna be useful? Are they taking rest? Are they showing you those basic moves and encouraging you to do them with heavy weight so that you're getting better at them over time? That was a really long answer. That was a wonderful <laughs> answer. It was an amazing answer. I loved it. Fantastic. I think that there's, it's, it's, almost, it's almost funny where if it looks really cool, it's probably, or at least you should raise a skeptical eyebrow that it may not yeah. be effective. If it's something yeah. that's, looks great on Instagram, got a ton of likes, you know, and you, the person looks like they might die doing it. I sport, sport, <laughs> sports center who I'm upset with this morning posted a video of some guy in a back squat position, barbell on his back, jumped onto a upside down BOSU ball that was on top of a box and oh he slipped and he slipped and he fell and it was bad. And then th the next clip is him like actually doing it correctly. And it was like some supposed to be some motivating thing. I'm like, People are literally going to do this. They're going to jump on a BOSU ball with a barbell on their back. This guy might die. It's just terrible. Things that should never be mixed. BOSU balls and barbells. BOSU balls and <laughs> literally anything other than the garbage. Anything. <laughs> like, like BOSU and garbage can go wonderfully together. I, I, don't, I don't own a BOSU ball. It's not on my list for my clients of what they should own. Sure. Like, Definitely not. not. And, and <laughs> They're just and, not that useful. And you made a good point. Like Social media does 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 wonderfully because there are literally in terms of net number, there are more people with good information that are out there. Percentage wise, who knows? There's probably more people with crap out there. And I feel lucky that my Instagram feed has kind of like Marie Kondoed all of the crap out that I don't, <laughs> that doesn't serve me. And, yeah. I, and I, maybe I'm in a vacuum of like 
people that are doing things relatively the right way, but I, I don't think that that's what most people's feed is like. And so if you see somebody who's doing it, and I can tell you yeah. that from the women who come to me and all the stuff that they've been doing previously, sure. and, and they'll tell me, I'll be like, well, what have you been doing? And they'll just like send names to me. I'm like, who are these people? And I'll look at them up and I'm like, all right, that's not the worst thing ever, but it's certainly not going to get you the results you want. Yeah. Rest, rest longer. And then these don't go for, these are not like laws that you must do, but rest longer, lift a little bit heavier, make your workouts on paper, look a little bit more boring. Um, yes. Because it's each, so true. Each individual set should be hard. I, I, I tell this to a lot of my clients for the first program they get from me. And I try and meet them halfway. If they come from a group fitness background or a lot of circuit training, we'll work some of that in, but they know that they've come to me for this reason that I'm going to, I want them to trend. Okay. Um, I want to build more muscle. I want to be stronger. I want to get more, more toned. And we look at their workout and we're like, okay, we need to trend a little bit more towards traditional strength training. Um, and just slowing it down a little bit and focusing more on each individual set. If you look at your workout, if you look at the workout that's written for you for the day, you shouldn't be able to tell if that workout is hard. Like if, if you look at a workout and you're like, oh my God, it's death defying. It's probably like an AMRAP of burpees, jump squats and, and split <laughs> lunges and stuff. So like, if you look at the workout, it should be like, okay, like this four, there's four sets of this, three, three, whatever it is. Like you shouldn't be able to tell if it's hard because the only way to make it hard is to actually put forth the effort in the workout. It's not like you're yeah. a five mile run, I promise you. It's hard no matter what, like, but yeah. your workout should only be hard. It should be hard because of the effort you're putting forth in, e in each individual absolutely. set. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Without fail, every one of my clients comes to me and they're like, this is the, like, that didn't look hard. That was really, really hard. And I was like, great. That means you did it right. Because I know what I wrote and there's not that many exercise and there's a lot of rest. And if that was hard, that's exactly what totally. we're looking for. You, um, you, and I agree about the meeting halfway. I have clients who come to me and like, I do find out from them. They're like, I like, I like that. Like I'm out of breath, hot and sweaty. And so like maybe twice a week, I'll put in at the very end of their workout, like some kind of like finisher that's like, Let's, let's do that. You want to feel hot and sweaty? You want to feel tired? Like, yeah, I can totally make you do that. I can totally get you tired. Let's do it. But it's after the real work. Yeah. Fun is definitely the base of the pyramid. If you get, you're getting clients who, like, I care more that you're consistent across the year than if you're doing perfect traditional strength training. But, yeah, for the <laughs> further you go from that, there are some trade-offs in terms of, like, being building muscle and strength. And that needs to be communicated, I think. I think it's like, okay, I get that, that this is something that you like, but let's yeah. just make sure that we're assessing the trade-offs. And if you still like it and want to do it, then I'm, I'm perfectly for it. I support a ton of my clients who want to do, you know, a hybrid of strength training in Orange Theory, for example. Like, that's fine mm -hmm. as long as you understand the difference between them and the difference between the yeah. outcomes. Yeah. I will say it is rare for a client who starts with me with that feeling to end with me with that feeling. Agreed. They get so interested in seeing the results and they feel different about the strength training. And they, I, I don't think I've had a single one yet who came to me saying they either wanted to keep doing orange theory or keep doing like, oh gosh, what is that woman's name? I always forget. Kayla, it's Sinas. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that kind of whatever, like, can yeah. I keep doing that? And I'm like, sure, yeah. you can keep doing that. I'm just going to plan what I give you around that. And totally. so I'm not going to give you, so I'll plan what I do knowing you're going to do that. And inevitably, like the weight, it starts to shift. Like, wait, let's do more of yours and less of that. And like, inevitably, they're finally like, okay, like I don't need to do that. My body feels less run down, and I'm not chronically exactly. sore they're all like, the time. Exactly. I have no idea that, like, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly, it's you, exactly it. Do you find that that uh, clients enjoy some of the gamification that comes with tracking and like tracking the workout, let's say, and and seeing their strength numbers go up? It's like very tangible instead of looking at how many fucking splat points you got it's like oh my god it lifted actually heavier i got another rep like they really thrive on that yeah for sure for sure they do look it feels really empowering to be strong i haven't met a single woman who has come to me and been like yeah that wasn't super cool that like i couldn't do that before and now i can they're all stoked like 
really excited. Like, I can't believe I can lift that heavy. I can't believe I can do a push up. I can't believe like I, I'm 50 and I just did my first pull up. Like I couldn't even do that in high school with the stupid presidential fitness test. Right. And like, now I can do it. Like, it's really cool to track your workouts and watch yourself get better. It's, I love it. I love it for them. They love it. Those are my favorite messages, like getting, and I'll get messages being like, I did it. I finally did a push up, And I'm like, where is my video? Like, let's celebrate that. And I always make them send me a video and like, it's amazing. It's yep. fantastic. Like they, they should feel proud. That's awesome. Totally agree with that. It's a new feeling for a lot of people. And if you've never experienced it, cause you've never felt that, that strength before, it's something that's very special. <laughs> and like you said, like being able to do some of the things it, it's cool when it's in the gym. Absolutely. It's also cool when it applies externally to the rest of your life, where you catch yourself going up a flight of stairs or you catch yourself carrying all the groceries in. I'll have clients all the time. who are like, I just, went for my morning walk and I go up this really challenging hill and it was like super easy this time or I carried all the groceries or I had, you know, whatever sort of external applicability that my new strength has. And it's just been really great to see that as well. Absolutely. And, you know, here's the other thing. It doesn't just carry over physically outside of the gym, but like mental strength. The reason I am here on this podcast today, the reason I have a business helping women all over the world do this is because I got strong first. I did not have the self-confidence. I would have never in a million years put myself out on social media before I had done that. Like it changed who I was getting strong and seeing that I could do hard things. It's the first time I ever saw myself as a strong person. And it gave me mental strength. Like I did things soon after, like I, I took voice lessons and my coach kept trying to get me to my coach, my teacher kept trying to get me to like sing in public. And I wouldn't do it after I'd been strength training for a few months. I was like, fine, I'll do it. And That's the awesome. reason I was able to do that is this mental strength of like, I do hard stuff. I do hard stuff all the time. And I watch myself do hard stuff. And sometimes I suck at it. And then I eventually get better. So like, stuff I gets can easier. do stuff. Yeah. And so like I sang in public for the first time. I started a business. I'm terrible at technology. Like I run an online business. I do technology stuff all the time. And I fail miserably at it a lot. But I know I can eventually figure it out because look. I can live, I can deadlift 280 pounds. Like I can figure out how to set my microphone. Up. I was like, about I'll do to it. say that you figured out how to set up a <laughs> podcast studio in your closet. Like you could do anything. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. can do it. That's awesome. And that has everything to do with getting strong in the gym. I love that. I love that. We're going to wrap things up on that. Kim, tell everybody where they can find you. Get a quick cough going and then let us know where everybody can find you. Because if they <laughs> yeah, don't I still apologize you. for the weird sound That's in my okay. voice. I don't usually sound like this. Yeah, I'm not um, editing it out. So <laughs> tell everybody where they can find you. I sound normal usually. So you can find me at Kim Schlag Fitness. I'm going to spell my last name because it's hard. S-C-H-L-A-G. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on TikTok. You can find me on YouTube. My podcast is called Fitness Simplified. You can find me there. Um, yeah all the places. That's awesome. Kim, thanks so much for coming on. I know everybody's going to love this. They're Thank gonna you love for you. having me. I this was really it. fun. Ton of fun. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram, or you can email me, jordanlips at jordanlipsfitness.com or check out the website, jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.